Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith. And uh, coming up on the show today, we're going to hear from our very own literary correspondent, Claire Hobber, with some uh, more reading recommendations. But before that, let's get the latest local news from Matt Adams from the Hearts Advertiser. Matt. Hello. Right, we'll start off with uh, St Albans' iconic Charter Market. Now, since the pandemic, there's been an ongoing uh, debate over the issue of the traditional stalls with their blue and yellow livery. Livery? Livery, I think. Livery. And um, the gazebos that were introduced um, to deal with uh, social distancing, such like. Um, After much debate, the council finally agreed that they're going to have a hybrid of the traditional stalls and the gazebos starting in the autumn. Um, now you think, all oh, right, okay, that's the end of the the argument. But what's happened now is people are sort of what they're, they're not doing is bringing back the old stores that have been there for decades. They're going to buy an, a load of new ones and sort of not actually test them before sticking them out. So there's a there's a new debate over whether they you know what steps should be taken to make sure that these are suitable, whether they can be transported right, whether they can actually deal with the um, the inclement weather. Um, because we think, you know, St. Peter Street is it's a massive wind tunnel and the old heavy metal stores... They could withstand most of the weather. And you could interlock them to to give them extra weight. Now, these new stores, nobody's seen them, nobody's tested them, so they don't know whether they're any good anyway. And it could be another of these sort of council ventures that, um, you know, don't actually work out in the end. So what's the um, what, what, why are the councils saying that they need to get new new stalls? I'm assuming they see that there are advantages to getting new well, stalls. Well, I think it's a cost saving measure because the old stalls took about sixteen of these um, like trailer things to to shift them out of storage and um, put them out. They reckon these new ones are easier to move, and they'll only need a couple of these. Um, but what they what they're also doing is they're selling the depot where the um, the old uh, trailer. Uh, stalls were kept and going and looking for somewhere that's a bit smaller to put these new one new ones wasn't it alleged that a lot of this was motivated by the fact that they wished to sell that land they do i mean they they effectively earmarked the revenue from that land for doing up fleetville community center right um so they you know they they desperately need to do something with it um and if they don't then you know they can't afford to to redevelop that which is they've already agreed so it's a, you know it's once again, it's one of these things that's going to rumble on. And um, I would hope that they'll what they'll do is over, use the summer where it's a bit quieter and bring in some of these proposed new stalls and test them out. Something they haven't actually mooted, but um, that would be what sounds like a sensible option. Yeah, because if they invest in all of these new stalls and then they, it turns out that they're not, they don't actually work, I guess that's the money gone, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's yeah. a complete waste. And one would hope that there would be some sort of trial process before they commit to this. If, if they're not sure that it will work or not. Yeah, I know. I know. You would expect that. But, you know, sometimes these things just get approved at committee and, you know, sort of steamroll, they steamroll ahead with them. So so the hybrid that you refer to there is that, what, there's going to be it's some... It's a mix of... So the, the what they call the Golden Mile, which is from about... From Jago's Jewellers up to um, the Beach House pub. Yeah. That's where they'll have the traditional stores. Um, so you'll get that uniform blue and yellow look again that we've, we haven't seen for so long. So these are the old stalls? Well, the, no. Or, or these the are the, old, new, the, the new, new ones they're the buying? The new stalls that are a bit like the old ones. Right. Um, so the proper market stalls. And then around those, so um, 
up by in marketplace and over the road near the arena that sort of place they'll have gazebos okay how do the market traders feel about this well they you know we've been told that they were consulted about it and they're all really happy but we've heard that before so um you know watch this space because we'll we'll definitely be speaking to them okay what they think Yes, because this was part of the problem in the past, wasn't it? That 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 wasn't it. It was reported that there was a consultation that they were all in favour of it, and yeah. then some of them were 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 massively disputing that, yeah, uh, saying that there wasn't a consultation, and that the and, and then wasn't it that there was a survey, but for some technicalities, they couldn't share the data because there wasn't a box to tick to say I don't mind the data. Wasn't it, it something was a lot flimsy? Of, yeah, like that? a lot of things. That, you know, there, there was a, a survey, but didn't give the option of keeping the old old stools it was what colored you like for the new gazebo so it's sort of presented as a fair complete yeah yeah there's a lot we've had a lot of um mileage out of this story and i don't think it's going away anytime soon okay well it would be nice in a way if it did wouldn't it because it'd be nice if they could find a resolution that the market traders and that the, the the community were happy about yes and we want to see it go back to you know bustling and thriving that it used to be mm, okay well um the hearts advertiser is obviously the place to keep your eyes peeled on developments on that story thank you matt we'll have more a bit later Our very own resident book correspondent, Claire Hobber, joins us now on the St. Albans podcast. Hello, Claire. Hello, Danny. So uh, what is our theme? What I should just explain, by the way, for the the listener who perhaps hasn't heard you before. uh, Each month, Claire comes on and talks about uh, some books. She recommends books we could read and and often we'll we'll group her recommendations around a theme. And uh, and what are we looking at this time around? So black, British and female this, this time. And there were so many books that I could have chosen, actually. Um, so I've chosen one from a little while back that was really, I guess, at the at the forefront of this genre. Well, it's not really a genre, but at the forefront of, of books um, on this kind of subject matter. Um, and then two much more recent ones. Okay. Uh, and so where are we starting? We're starting... With Small Island by Andrea Levy. So Andrea Levy, an amazing writer who unfortunately was taken from us too soon. She died in 2019 at um, quite a young, a youngish age of cancer. Um, but she um, made an enormous contribution in describing, I guess, the experience of the Windrush generation so that we really could put ourselves in the shoes of these people who came to the aid of their motherland from in this case Jamaica and um, I guess were disappointed by what they found but had to find some resolve to carry on and make their lives here Uh, and the uh, protagonist there are several very strong main characters in the book, but I guess the main protagonist is Hortense Joseph, who um, is a well-regarded woman in Jamaica, a young woman who has a, a qualification in teaching and everybody would regard her as, a, as quite a superior person. She has quite a high opinion of herself and she is disappointed in love, marries uh, a nice Jamaican guy who's just on his way to the UK to um, earn a living. He wants to be a lawyer and she wants to be a teacher. 
when she arrives, he's gone on ahead. When she arrives, she barely knows her husband. So there's a love story there as well. Um, she cannot believe what she finds, this cold country with this cramped accommodation. And worst of all, her teaching qualification is completely disregarded. The country that they thought of as their motherland, as a protector, as, as a warm home to come to, rejects them. And I guess the title, Small Island, is a pun, really, is, is a something to make you think. Which is the small island? Is it Jamaica or is it the UK? Is it the mm. British Isles that's the small island? And they come up, it's not purely from the Jamaican point of view. There's a wonderful character Queenie, who is white British, and she, I guess, is enduring her own kind of subjugation. She has a husband who is not kind to her. When he leaves for World War II, she has the opportunity to um, to lead her own life. And she is the person who is kind and takes in the Jamaican immigrants in days when um, many people are... I guess, frightened of these black skins that they see appearing on their streets and are rejecting them. But she takes them in and, in turn, they help her in the end. So mm. it's it's much more complicated than that. It's such a great read. And it came back to my mind recently because the National Theatre has dramatised it and done a run, and I'm sure it'll come back. That's one of those dramas that's going to come back. And it was really very moving, very well done. Okay, that's a small island by Andrea Levy, and that's the first of Claire's book choices this month. Time now for another new story from Matt Adams from the Hearts Ad. Matt, right? Well, um, another old story coming back, and that's the issue of the local plan. Now, um, this is the blueprint for development within the uh, district. It's uh, it sets out how many new homes are supposed to be built each year. Um, it's over this period it's um, about 14,000 uh, up to um, I think it's 2038 something like that so work out how many you need yeah between 2020 and 2036 so how, many, how long is that 16, 16 years. years so it's, it's around about um, just under a thousand now what the council are trying to do is actually challenge the um, these targets um, they this is a figure set by the government's standard method and it's actually it was set out by the government in 2018 but it's based on data dating back as far as 2014 and a lot of other councils are saying that theirs are out of date and it's an unreasonable approach so um council leader chris white is writing to the secretary of state for housing communities and local government to protest about it um and if if, he, if they can get this figure lowered i'm not sure what what number it would be down to it could you know mean they don't have to find quite as many um sites for development and that would make you know getting the local plan through a lot easier yeah i mean it would it would significantly ease the pressure on the council wouldn't it with yeah, this absolutely. local plan too yeah. if they suddenly didn't have to hit as high a target i mean and that's you know that's a, a lot of a lot you know it's about 900 houses a year i think it is but, and to build that we ne- we're never we're not going anywhere near that figure did, did you not report some time ago that this was an option, that, that, the, that the, the numbers that have been reached were... They have. They've been trying to do this for ages, but this is like, looks like it's a, you know, quite a big step forward. Right. Okay. So I, I guess my question, I, I sort, of, sort of saying, well, they've been saying for ages that we need to change this, but they haven't done. But now they are. Yeah. I, I don't know whether um, something's changed in terms of, you know, the wider 
um, policy making. But uh, you know, it does seem. Actually, I do. Yeah, I do recall some some comments made on the national stage about you know this sort of thing needing to be reviewed. Um, and if we can get it locally, then you know the, the local plan thing has just gone on and on and on until it's resolved. We're we're still going to get development by appeal. Yeah, and 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 that's one of the biggest um, setbacks of not having one at the moment is that so much development seems to get through that's been initially rejected. Yeah. So so we do need to get this sorted, and and I'm sure for for a lot of listeners they would be maybe they're sort of thinking, oh, it's, you know, local plan again. You know, it's a it's a boring topic. It comes up often, yet without it, so many things that people care passionately about, and and you know, the, these sorts of developments that they do not want to see on their doorstep, they're happening because of the lack of a local plan yeah totally so uh so yeah so it is important thank you for keeping up on this and um is the is there a heart sad sweepstake as to what year the local plan <laughs> might come in yes there may well be yeah <laughs> 2036 my guess yeah. <laughs> just in time for it to be obsolete again yeah. <laughs> just in time for them to, to need yeah, a new to one need a new, yeah, a new one yeah yeah well maybe that's how they do it retrospectively It'd yeah, be a lot easier yeah. Okay, uh, we'll have one more news story from Matt Adams from the Hearts Ad a little bit later. We're back with our very own book correspondent, Claire Hobbert. We are looking at um, books that we're loosely um, putting into the theme of black and British. Uh, tell us about your next choice. The next choice has had a lot of publicity in recent years, and it's Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. And this is just such a great read. Um, I, w- I looked at the list of prizes it had won, and it certainly went off the bottom of the web page that I was looking at. It's won so many. And I think Bernadine Evaristo is one of these people who has been around probably forever writing plays and later on writing novels and working really hard in the arts and gaining a lifetime of experience. And then it all came to fruition with, um, with this book, Girl, Woman, Other, And she came to public notice as well. And she's such a warm and articulate and immensely positive person that she's irresistible. And I think Bernadine Evaristo probably now has national treasure status. And you hear her, you hear her intelligent comments on ever so many arts programs now. So it's well worth acquainting yourself with her work. And I guess, uh, Danny, you've, you've, you've read this one. How did you feel? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I, um, I read this a couple of years ago uh, with a with a book group I belong to, and and I I thought that it was very good at helping you to see um, things from different points of view. You know, there are twelve different voices in this book, and 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 twelve different stories. Um, not all of them. I didn't connect with all of them. I, did, I don't think I particularly enjoyed all of them, but I think some of them were very well done. Interesting that you just mentioned about her being. Um, you, did you say she was a playwright? Yeah, because to play right. thinking about it, this almost felt a little bit like it could have been a play. That mm. the, there was there's something about that the way that these different voices were telling their stories, it, it, it almost felt a bit like a bit like that. But um, but no, it, it was uh, it was an interesting read and, and something certainly made made you think a little bit and and how these women that that were similar yet different and and yet they and they're different experiences of life were, were, were quite you know, in places quite illuminating i like the fact that the 12 characters come from oh i think at least three different generations so you've got andrea levy's story of how the windrush generation came to britain and bernardine evaristo's story covers that period and even goes further back actually 
and um, also brings it right up to date with the stories of their grandchildren and great-grandchildren, how they have um, managed to gain a firm foothold and begin to turn the tables to influence the culture and to, as you were saying, Danny, make people see things a little from their point of view rather than um, being the cultural outsider that Andrea Levy's Hortense Hortense was in, in her book. Um, it, it is just, I think one of the things I like about it is when you stand back, like you're saying, that she calls it a polyphonic novel, as in lots of different sounds with her 12 different characters. And you stand back and you think it goes across generations. It goes across geographical areas. It's, it starts in London, but it's not completely London-centric. We've got Bristol and we've got the Northeast as well. And, and even America, actually. Um, so it goes across generations. It goes across geography. It goes across gay versus straight. Um, and it goes across so many different roles that a woman can have in this society. Um, and yet when you're reading it, it doesn't feel like she's trying to be smart. You just feel like you're in the shoes of whichever character you're reading. But you, you think, as you stand back, you think, my word, that was ambitious. But the most skill of all is that when you're reading it, you don't feel, oh, this is a clever book. You just feel like this is a good read, you know. Mm. Now, now, something else that's just, just come back to me as well is uh, I gather that this was a book without punctuation. Yeah, now it's really interesting because some people say to me, oh, I can't be doing with that. And they say, I was really put off by the lack of punctuation. What I find is it's just like if you're listening to a strong accent from another part of the country, just give it a moment, get your ear in. After about half an hour, you won't even notice that you're listening to somebody with a strong accent. You'll just be understanding what they're saying. And I think the whole punctuation thing is very, very similar. Just give it a little while and you'll stop noticing. Do, do you do you have a sort of an, a think a, an idea or a thought as to why it might have been written in such a way? I, I gather it's it, it's not that you know this has been done before. Um, but but what what would the author be looking to achieve by doing it that way? I guess in this case it could be showing the interconnectedness. I think it links with these twelve different voices that there are no full stops between different people. And there are, in fact, you, we can trace connections between the different people in the novel. They might not know each other, but they will in some way be connected. So I think it refers to the interconnectedness in this novel. It can also add to pace as things rush on and pile up without any intervening full stops and commas. Um, but I think here it's the interconnectedness. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's Claire's second choice uh, for this month. Uh, Bernadine Everisto, Girl, Woman, Other. Uh, the book choices that Claire has made are all in the description of this podcast episode right now. And you can also find them on our website at stalbanspodcast.com. More from Claire a bit later. Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for the St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning. For more information, visit stalbanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. One more book choice now from our very own resident book correspondent, Claire Hobber. Claire. So this is Ordinary People by Diana Evans. And um, it's moving away from 
focusing mainly on the experience of black people in Britain to um, that just being perhaps part of the backdrop of these characters. So it's about two different couples who've reached perhaps the edge of being young and are looking at middle age. They've got children and houses and they've got past the romantic phase of their marriage to the bit where it's quite hard going with trying to keep careers and childcare and so forth going. And there's uh, Melissa and Michael. So they're uh, very good looking, always been very successful. And they have two children and they've just moved into a house near Crystal Palace. And there's also Damien and Stephanie and they have got a better house, but at the cost of moving out of London um, into Surrey. And they have three children. And I guess there's a sort of uncomfortable feeling over both the couples. Are they going to survive? Are they going to split up? Basically, I think it's a a hump in the road that a lot of us hit in the course of of long marriages. And it's it's seeing how that's going to work out. Um, I made it sound quite dull. The thing about Diana Evans is she is just such a great writer. She writes really the way she uses the language she kind of rounds it up and makes it bounce and do what she wants and it's poetic and it's funny and it's lively and you really do and she enlists the supernatural so um poor old melissa who for the first time in her life after a glamorous career is fighting for time to carry on with her work in the face of caring for two demanding children she begins to be almost literally haunted there's some supernatural in this new house there's a little ghost of a, a girl that she keeps seeing. And the reader's left to wonder, as with the best supernatural novels, whether there really is a ghost or whether it's a manifestation of Melissa's own troubles. So, again, you know, it, there's there's quite a lot of interest in that. And um, there's also a really strong music element. If you If you like music, so the very title Ordinary People comes from an album by... Uh, John Legend, and mm. it's about it is about just exactly that stage, I think, in a couple's life when they're sort of past the initial romance, and and it's like you you've been running along, and now suddenly you're running uphill for a bit. So it's uh, interesting it like you, you say, know that, Danny. Well, well, I didn't, but but I, as soon as I saw the title, that was the song, John Legend's song, "Ordinary People," was sort of playing through my head, and as you were reading this out, it was just sort of there in the background, and then when you mentioned that, I thought. Oh yeah, that that yes, there's something evocative of that song in in what you've been saying. Now, I also gather that this is a book that perhaps one could argue rather thinly that it's historical fiction because it was written quite recently, but it's actually set in a period of recent history that is quite interesting. There's a historical backdrop to this, isn't there? Yes, it's bracketed by um, the coming to power of of Barack Obama in the states um, at the beginning. And I think that's what the, it starts off with a party, which is just so brilliantly described. Mm. And it finishes at the point where Michael Jackson dies. So there are two historic events around this whole thing. Uh, the only criticism there is that although they meant, I, I guess they meant something to black communities living in predominantly white countries everywhere, they are American. And this is a British novel about British people. 
Um, but but I, I suppose, though, that both of those events would have had an impact in the UK. Mm. You know, a lot of people were following that that election and, and subsequent American elections as well. You know, that there, there, there was a lot of interest in, in Obama's historic victory. And also the news of Michael Jackson was a global thing, you know. And, and, and so whilst they are both American events, I can appreciate that they might well have had a, a big impact on people in this country in this country. Well, certainly, yes, Diana, uh, Diana Evans certainly reflects that they did indeed. Mm. So, I mean, I know people yes, stayed up all night to them. watch the Obama um, election results unfold, and yeah, the BBC, I think, around about then started doing all night, um, you know, election programming out for elections outside of this country. You know, normally we'd get that for a general election in this country, but suddenly I seem to recall, you know, Obama. That I think the BBC did an all night news coverage thing and, and and have done so ever since so i guess these things do have a bigger impact these days yeah and i guess maybe there was nothing that was so significant to that community going on in this country at that time you mm. know and and i guess if we're honest especially since brexit although brexit is since the time when this novel was set um increasingly we are dependent for our culture and everything else on the united states aren't we yeah very much so um, but but yes, I, I can. Uh, I imagine as well being. I mean, I called it a historical fiction novel. I mean, no one would call it that. But it 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 is a book that is writing about a different historical time. But writing about one that was only ten years before does mean that it, it it's far enough away from that period of time to give it a fresh perspective. But it's close enough to it to accurately capture it, and to be writing uh, of a period of time that most of the readers will be able to remember as well. Indeed, yeah, it's very interesting to get a retrospect on that period. And as I say, um, as with the best TV dramas, there is potentially there um, a soundtrack to go with it. So I've just been watching Derry Girls on the telly and that period is so beautifully evoked by all, all the music. Well, here in Diana Evans' novel, we have mention of, of what's on the radio, what a busker is playing, um, what's number one in the charts we we have that sort of and the background music somebody might be playing in their house so we have actually got this soundtrack and I um I think it's one of the things that lured me towards Spotify was that I could pick up this music and find out what all these tracks were um I gather increasingly now more popular books you can look on places like Spotify and actually find a playlist that's been put together to to, to sort of accompany the book you're reading there may well be one for this, actually. Well, that's homework, isn't it? And yeah. that would have been a lot easier would be to just have found it on Spotify. I bet it is on because this book's kind of, it's still gaining momentum, I would say. Somebody said there was um, an article about it on Radio 4 just the other day, even though it came out in 2018. Okay. Um, the other the other lovely thing about this book is that it's confu causing confusion in book groups everywhere because um, it's got a very similar title to Sally Rooney's Normal People. So... I've heard a couple of stories now about people turning up to a book group about ordinary people having read normal people <laughs> or, or vice versa. <laughs> so. Oh, dear. Okay, well, that's <laughs> Ordinary People by Diana Evans. That's the third of uh, Claire Hobber's choices for this month. The uh, All the books that Claire has recommended this month uh, can be found in the description of this podcast episode. You can also find it on our website uh, at com. Also in the description of, of this episode, you can find details about Claire's uh, blog where you can read um, some of Claire's writings and also the details of her next uh, creative writing course because you're doing it all over again in September, aren't you, at Books on the Hill? Yeah, we're focusing on 
people who are fairly new to writing and really want to focus in and start writing, I'm providing coaching in the most fundamental techniques, techniques like show, not tell and point of view, and how you really bring a story to life and get your reader to be asking questions and seeing pictures in their mind. So we'll be, I'm going to do four four sessions at Books on the Hill starting September the 27th um, on basic techniques that will really start to make your writing take off and give you everything you need to get going as a writer. Okay. And there'll also be a workshop at the Abbey in October, so details to follow. All right. Well, certainly the details for the course at Books on the Hill, you can find that in the description of this episode right now as well, and also, again, on our website at stalwinspodcast.com. But in the meantime, Claire Hobber, thank you very much, and we look forward to hearing from you around about the same time next month. Thanks, Danny. Our final news story now this week from Matt Adams. Matt. Right. Uh, he, uh, a new ca- uh, cultural strategy has been introduced by the District Council to look at um, how um, St Albans City Centre can re- be redeveloped to its maximum potential as a focal point for the arts. This is on the back of the um, plans to uh, develop what's called City Centre Opportunity Site North, Seacost North. Seacost South is around where the police station used to be, that they're sticking a building up there oh yeah so um this is you know basically the the uh, civic center the arena and uh and you know the car parks around there so the council are, are going to produce a strategy to determine what arts facilities are going to be needed in the future uh what car parking capacity um and whether they keep the arena or demolish it which has been a very controversial thing for the last few weeks since uh, a few months really since that was first mooted um, but the you know the SADC think that they can provide a new green space in the city centre and encourage first class cultural facilities to flourish for arts, leisure, and heritage. So they need to come up with a strategy to do that, and that then that well, you know they'll decide whether as part of that they replace the arena. Now part of the problem with the arena is that its stage size. I think it's the depth of the stage is isn't enough to take some of these bigger shows that you get elsewhere. The two big touring shows, you know, like Les Mis and things like that, they can't fit in. So, um, and it's it's always been a problem. You know, it's fine if you've got a stand-up comedian, but you can't do anything on a bigger scale. Yeah, I gather it's not quite a, a standard um, space, uh, and, and that's what's needed. So for a lot of these touring shows, they will only go into venues where there is a standard space and, yes. and and yeah it's to do with the the depth and the width of the stage and maybe from the audience perspective they might you may not notice from one venue to another because it might look like the same visible space but it's that's not no, the there's only a lot space more, a lot more goes on backstage and it's loading and unloading and yeah. lots of things like that mm. um yeah i mean people have you know there's a whole sort of group of people who are very precious about the arena personally you know um I don't see the, the, you know, the appeal. I know it was designed by some particular architect and stuff, but it's, just, you know, it's just a bit of a 60s monstrosity. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's not like some kind of like 200-year-old grand opulent building that we must preserve, you know, the, 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 the structured, you know. It, it, yeah, it's a 60s, yeah, it's a 60s building. It, some people think it looks all right, some people don't. And, yeah, Knock there's nothing down. special about it. No, no, I think... You know, imagine if, you, if, you, if you've been to Harpenden and see what they've done there. It's, it's, it's so exciting. Oh, the Eric Morecambe Centre yeah, is it's wonderful, isn't it? You know, something on, you know, along those lines are just And I imagine it's a, it's a smaller arena, but it probably has the right size of staging and, and what have you, that they could probably take more 
more productions than than the Albany Arena. Yeah, can. yeah. It does make you wonder what the what what the council were thinking sixty years ago when they built it that uh, they didn't build one big enough. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was the, it was the old. Um, it had another nice city hall, wasn't it? Like, right, it wasn't city hall. I don't think. Uh, obviously, predates me. Yeah, um, but so it's I, like it's know. like the, the the swimming pool when they replaced Westminster Lodge, you know, and they, and they downgraded the size, and it's no longer of a, a competition size. Yeah, it's it? not yeah. a it's not a competition size pool anymore, which means it cannot host a, um, sort of you know heats of. Oh, I remember events. the big the rows about that. Um, Pool too small, I think the campaign yeah. it was called. But but they were right, and I, and at some point in the future, I can just see it that there'll be a thing. Oh, we need to build a new one because the pool's too small. It, it, yeah. We can't host um, we can't host these big events that we could host yeah. otherwise. Future proofing, that's what we need. It, it, it does seem like this council and and uh, well, and its predecessors really, because this you know the Westminster Lodge dates back to. Uh, I can't remember which administration gave that the nod, but I mean, yeah. what, we're talking about twenty twenty five years ago when that was changed and. Yeah. No, it wasn't that long ago. It was. was in, it it's been in my in my tenure. Yeah. So. No, you're right. Actually, yeah, yeah. within the last thirteen years. Yeah. Um. I, I, maybe they maybe they aren't fair comparisons. It's just I remember. No, the I think that's a good comparison. Saying, you know, it, there was a yeah. The 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 guy um, Gilroy, I think his name is. He's no longer with us. Was fighting for that for a long time because it was just a little bit too small. Yeah, it's not much smaller. No, I know, and it was just there was some reason why they didn't do it, but I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, let's get rid of the arena and give us something, you know, really to be proud of. Yeah, <laughs> just to offer an element of balance. I know you don't agree with that yourself, but but there are those who are opposing it. But but the arguments seem to be a bit thin because yeah. they're talking about it like like it is some cultural hub that has been there for hundreds of years, like it's some old palace theatre or I know, something. I know. It, it isn't. No, it's not. So um, if they've got a really valid point, then let, let's hear it. But I haven't heard one yet. Right. There you go. Uh, to find out more about local news in our area, check out the HeartSad's website, heartsad.co.uk. Thank you very much to our very own uh, literary correspondent, Claire Hobber. Uh, it's always good to have Claire here. Her book choices can be found uh, on well, in the description of this episode right now, com, and also on... Uh, yeah, in the description and on that website, cinemawispodcast.com. Uh, also, uh, next week, we have uh, Anna from Communities First uh, coming here, and she'll be telling us about latest volunteering opportunities in our area. Uh, thank you for listening. Find out more about us on our website and also on our social media channels. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are at St. Albans Podcast. See ya. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Heart Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.